there. Welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are going to be talking to Kelsey McKinney, the host of the very popular podcast, Normal Gossip, uh, which is based on this kind of interesting idea that all gossip, even gossip about people that you may never meet, is weirdly fascinating. We're going to ask her about applying her skills as a trained journalist to the subject of gossip. We're also going to sit down with the poet Brenda Shaughnessy to talk about her new book. It's called Tanya. It's about women artists and mentors. It's also low-key an attempt to find her college roommate. So if you're out there, Tanya, hit us up. And finally, we're going to close out the show with music from one of our new favorite artists, Grammy Award winner Madison Cunningham. We don't have any Grammys here on LiveWire, but we do have the award for being Susie Burbank's favorite radio show, hosted by one of her children. So we've got that going for us. Stick around. It all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Well, hello there, Mr. Burbank. How's it going? It's going very well, actually, this week. Are you ready for our our weekly station location identification examination? Woohoo! Yeah. This is where I quiz Elena about somewhere in the country where Livewire is on the radio. She's got to try to guess the place we are talking about. This city is actually an island. It's twelve miles long and five miles wide. It has fewer than forty thousand year-round residents, but it gets about two million visitors a year. Mm. It's home of the famous Salty Dog Cafe. Uh, Homer, Alaska? <laughs> that's, that's the salty dog that I've been to. Maybe there's a couple of them. <laughs> How about this? This island has over 300 tennis courts, 1,000 bike racks. Not Homer, Alaska. <laughs> 24 championship golf courses, but zero neon signs. Is it Hilton Head Island, South Carolina? It is Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, where we are on WJWJ. Ah, you had me at golf courses. (laughs) I knew you would zero in on it, being a South Carolinian. I think it was a big deal to have a salty dog. I think it's like D-A-W-G, cafe t-shirt when I was in sixth grade as well. Yeah, it's got the dog with the rain, like the little kind of like rain slicker hat (laughs) on. That's right, that's right. We saw that even in Seattle when I was growing up. Anyway, shout out to everyone tuning in from Hilton Head on WJWJ. All right, should we get to the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... This week, 
podcaster, Kelsey McKinney. It's extremely ridiculous to be like, let me take all of my skills as a reporter and apply them to gossip stories I've obtained from random people. (laughs) And poet Brenda Shaughnessy. I have like a bunch of different notebooks. None of them know about each other. They're all just like, you know, I write in one and they're not connected. I don't know what the ideas are. And then eventually I'll like pull them all together and like put them all in one big notebook and then I lose that. With music from Madison Cunningham and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in from all over the country, including in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Of course, we asked Livewire listeners a question, as we do each week. We asked, what is some gossip only you care about? This is related to Kelsey McKinney's hit podcast, Normal Gossip, which we're going to hear about. We're going to hear those responses in a minute. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show. There is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news you heard all week? Okay, uh, heading over to Warren, Michigan, which isn't too far from Detroit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Last week, there was a bus traveling from some school in the Warren School District to, you know, a neighborhood. And the bus driver, you can see this on the security camera or the driver camera, the bus driver uh, radios in to dispatch and says, I'm feeling really dizzy. I think I need to pull over. This bus is full of children, by the way. Maybe that's why she was feeling so dizzy. It's because it was right. full of seventh graders. I've been on those buses before. <laughs> so you see her in the video kind of pass out. She loses consciousness before she has time to fully pull off of this multiple lane road that she's on. And the bus is still moving. And at that moment, seventh grader Dylan Reeves, who is sitting about five rows back, he throws down his knapsack and he runs to the front of the bus. And that's when he enters the purview of the camera. And you see him. First thing he does is he puts his hand on the steering wheel. He's still standing, you know, over the bus driver. And then he takes his left foot and he slowly steps on the foot brake. And then you see him looking around on the dashboard and he finds that kind of lever thing to, I guess, that to put it in the emergency brake. And then with one hand still on the steering wheel, he turns around. This is this is a little bitty person, a little child. Wow. And he goes, call 911 right now. I don't care who does it. Call 911. And there are children shouting and you can see, you know, the bus is moving through the windows of the door, but then you see it stop. And then within like a couple of minutes, the uh, emergency services team had come and there was no damage to any of the kids. The bus driver is recovering at home. Even the bus didn't get damaged, which was a real surprise. And, of course, they had a huge press conference where Dylan appeared with his parents, and his mom was like, how did you do this? And Dylan was like, what are you talking about, Mom? I watch her drive this bus every day. (laughs) I thought he was going to say, I've been secretly driving our minivan, Mom. I know. I wondered if it was like one of those – I mean, this is sort of not too far from Detroit, but if it was one of those kind of rural Michigan situations where everybody's driving a tractor by the time Mm -hmm. they're five. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. I think he's just cool under pressure and observant, and it's really interesting to watch him in the camera because he just seems to be the type of person who's just logically going through the orders of like emergency response. It's, it's really amazing. Impressive. Some real Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock action. He would not get either of those references <laughs> because <laughs> right. he was born in 2008. <laughs> That's a very good point. 
Uh, Speed was a movie that came out roughly 100 years ago about someone <laughs> taking over a bus in case you're, uh, you know, you're young. All right, the best news that I saw this week takes us over to Bristol, England, where you got a guy named Ben Coyles. He may not know about the movie Speed either. He's only 22 years old. Uh-oh. And he's out pub hopping with his mates, trying to British it up yeah. a little bit, <laughs> uh, for his birthday. And he decides uh, just to have some fun by dressing up like his favorite character in the world, which is, of course, Gandalf the Grey from... Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so they're apparently at their second to last pub. They're almost done with the with the pub crawl. And someone comes up and taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, Gandalf, would you like to meet Gandalf? <gasps> and he turns around and Sir Ian McKellen, the actual Gandalf from the movies, is just standing there <laughs> chilling. So they get these amazing selfies. They apparently actually hung out with Ian McKellen for a few minutes. Oh, did they? What, what, like, how did that get instigated? Do you think Ian McKellen was like, let's have some fun? You know? <laughs> it's not exactly described in this piece, but I've seen interviews with Ian McKellen. He just seems like such a game person that I would guess that if he saw someone walking down the street dressed up like Gandalf the Grey, he would go over and introduce himself just to, to make it a fun, memorable birthday. I'll tell you who would freak out over this would be my, my dad. And my brother, David, they actually went to New Zealand and went to all of the places where they filmed Lord of the Rings, including sneaking on various sheep farms that were not technically open (laughs) and like talking their way into various, you know, locations and things. My dad also (laughs) makes reproductions of the weapons from Lord of the Ring in his spare time. Oh, we got to get Ian McKellen to go drink at a bar near your dad's house. If we can get him to Silverdale, Washington, I think it'll be a big thrill (laughs) for old Walt B. Anyway, (laughs) Ian McKellen out there making people's birthdays. That's the best news I saw this week. All right, let's welcome our first guest on over to the show. She is a staff writer and co-founder of Defector Media, which is an employee-owned sports and culture website. It's also the author of the critically acclaimed book, God Spare the Girls, and she hosts the popular podcast, Normal Gossip, which The New Yorker says evokes the thrill of sitting next to chatty, high-drama strangers at a cafe. It's delicious. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Kelsey McKinney, recorded at Town Hall in Seattle. This is LiveWay. Seattle. Hello, welcome. Um, okay, on your show, Normal Gossip, you always ask the guests oh, no. <laughs> what their relationship with gossip is. I'm curious, before you were doing an entire podcast about it and it was, you know, mm-hmm. kind of your identity in a way, yeah. what was your relationship with gossip? So I grew up very evangelical. I'm from the state of Texas, which is famously rather evangelical. And so I was brought up to believe that gossip was a sin and that it was something you should never do. And there was like very little distinction or wiggle room there. And so I kind of grew up anti-gossip, which is extremely funny since now it's my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was reading that piece you wrote in the New York Times uh, about mm-hmm. this very thing about your childhood, and I noticed that you w- went to a non-denominational church as I did. Oh, that's when you're I'm dealing sorry. with the real. <laughs> sh- they're like, yeah, Southern Baptist, a little too liberal. Yeah, let's keep this non-denominational yeah. over here. Yeah, 
Can you explain for folks that haven't had a chance to hear it yet the kind of format of the show? Sure, yeah. So I'm the host of a podcast called Normal Gossip. The way it works is someone comes on and I ask them about their relationship with gossip and we have a brief conversation about what that looks like in their life. And then I tell them an anonymized story, a gossip that we collected from people in the real world. Now, how are you getting these gossip stories that you're then kind of retelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a voicemail box. We have a text, like you can text the voicemail number. We have an email. Um, You can kind of tell the like level of gossip you're getting and the kind of person you're getting it from (laughs) by the format they send it in, right? Uh, So like Earth Signs, they're sending like whole documents in the email, (laughs) right? They're like, here's all the evidence, here are the photos, here's everything you need. But then you also have people that are like sending 17 Instagram DM voice memos. (laughs) Somebody just doing a be real. Yeah, exactly. That's not enough information. Is there kind of a, like a never-ending supply of this gossip? I mean, do you guys ever beat in the bushes to get more gossip? No. <laughs> I, when we started, the, so the podcast is a little over a year old. And for the first season, I was like begging people I was barely friends with to come on. And now I am terrified because I have just learned that most people in the world are just involved in some crazy stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's very scary, but also beautiful in a way. <laughs> Do you feel any uh, responsibility, you and the producers of the show, to try to verify if the gossip is real? Or does that even matter if it's gossip? Yeah, that's a really good question. So me and my producer, Alex Sujan Laughlin, we spend a lot of time trying to like get more information out of people. So often it depends on how many degrees of separation you have from the gossip, how much actual information you can get. So you do a sort of an interview with the person who is sharing the gossip with you. And I assume you're just taking copious notes because I mean, you have a lot of detail when you're telling this story now back to whoever Mm -hmm. your guest is, you've really like, do you interview the gossiper multiple times? Like how do you get that ingrained in a story about like a, Gay kickball team. Yeah. I, well, part of That's my, a real thing from the show, yeah, not just a, real, a very a weird example I came uh, up with. <laughs> part of my job, right, is to think about, like, what are the motivations of these people and how do they behave? And so, like, you would be really... I am a trained reporter. That is, like, what I my job is before this. And you would be just really surprised how much information exists if you're looking for it, mm-hmm. right? So people say, like, I went here... And then I pull up photos of it. And so then I can describe the place that they went, right? And so there's like a lot of information that's tangential that you can get. It comes through in the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And also, of course, I mean, you're a reporter. You've been a reporter for many years. So yeah. you're applying that rigor to this, which makes it way better. It's extremely ridiculous to be like, let me take all of my skills as a reporter and apply them to gossip stories <laughs> I've obtained from random people. <laughs> What's maybe like the wildest thing that's actually made it onto the show or is what's something that really stands out as a, a thing, a piece of gossip that was describing a certain behavior that really kind of blew your mind? Ooh, that's a really good question. Can I prompt you with one that I was just listening to Please. recently? <laughs> and it was uh, some gossip involving some people that was four young women who really wanted to see One Direction, oh, the yes. band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the two of the women couldn't get tickets. So they yeah. end up finding this friend online and then getting tickets from them. But now they're going to have to hang out as a foursome. Yes. And things go 
way wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. again, I, I, I don't want to give away too much from the episode, but let's just say there's a point where someone's hiding an appliance in a hotel room for nefarious yeah. reasons. I mean... I think <laughs> one of the most jarring parts of this job is just realizing how many things people are doing that they think are totally reasonable <laughs> but that to everyone else make no sense, right? Like, it's like, why are you carrying a five-foot-tall bird lamp across three countries in South Asia? Like, you don't need to do that. You could just leave it there. Okay, we've got to take a real quick break, but uh, when we come back, I want to talk also about your experience with Defector Media, which is, a, I think, a really cool media project that I've been personally really interested in uh, since it got formed pretty recently. So we're going to be back with more with Kelsey McKinney in a moment here on Livewire. <laughs> Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we, we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including... Uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/slash. LiveWire to get 15% off your first order when you use LiveWire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. We are at Town Hall in Seattle this week. I'm Luke Burbank. I'm here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Kelsey McKinney from the Normal Gossip Podcast. I'm curious about the name. Um, wh what's the origin of that? It raises the question, the existence of normal gossip mm -hmm. indicates the existence of abnormal gossip. Yeah. Well, I think... So, yes, there is certainly abnormal gossip that exists. I think the direct parallel that we were kind of going for is celebrity gossip, which is what you usually ah. hear, right? Like, oh, we have celebrity gossip on this topic or whatever. Uh, really, the podcast is called Normal Gossip because at some point in the past, I tweeted, what if someone gave me a podcast called Normal Gossip where I <laughs> interviewed people who work at The Gap? And then everyone at my company yelled at me because they were like, why would you put this good idea onto the internet for free when we could simply make it for the company that we all own together? So that's why it's called Normal I see. Smart, actually, because now you are running it through Defector and it's going yeah. really well. Yeah. Um, do you ever hear back from the people... Um, who are the subjects of the gossip? Not the people who reached out to you, but the other people in the stories. So, no, not okay. yet. Wow. Um, one thing that is extremely interesting about the show, so we anonymize every story, which means that we take the names and the locations and often, like, basic details and shift them to something that is similar but not quite exactly the same. So, like, an episode about knitting might have been originally about a different craft, Right, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and we will get emails from people that are like, that's my knitting club. And I'm like, one, I know for a fact it's not. Wow. Two, what's happening in your knitting club? <laughs> um, the other uh, thing that you do when you're not hosting this podcast is you write for Defector. Now, uh, Defector is a kind of a sports and culture website. Also, yeah. you do some great real estate reporting on there that I'm personally a fan of. <laughs> Thank you. True story. Um, but the, the whole creation of Defector and how you co-founded it with a, lot, a bunch of your colleagues is a really wild story involving like a Hulk Hogan sex tape. My trauma. And Let's Peter, do it. <laughs> Peter Thiel, uh, you know, this kind of like Silicon Valley guy yeah. who had it out for Gawker Media because he felt like yeah. they had been critical of him. I mean, for people that don't know, is there a succinct way to describe the elements that, that came together for sure. this? Sure, yeah, let me give you the version I gave my therapist, which is that <laughs> Deadspin used to be owned by Gawker Media, which is a company that was driven into the ground when Peter Thiel sued them straight into the ground. Uh, he sued them on behalf of, he basically funded Hulk, Hulk Hogan's Hogan. yeah. The Wrestler. I just want to be clear with these public radio yes. listeners that Hulk Hogan sued Kelsey's company. Yes. Uh, and the real thing, like all rich people hated Gawker because Gawker wanted to just talk shit all the time and they don't like that. Um, but Deadspin lived after that and because of the Peter Thiel suing, they ran out of money, the company got sold to like a private equity firm. Um, and then a man became in charge of it and he, you know, just basically tried to interfere with every aspect of the company and take away the things that were good about it. Uh, and that kind of came to a head. I know it was Halloween because the room that I walked into right before we all mass quit was covered in fake blood. Huh. <laughs> a little on the nose, but yeah, okay. Yeah, a little, a little strong by the writers. <laughs> yeah, we... 
we all quit essentially right. is what it ended up with is that the entire team decided, you know, we would rather not have jobs and not work in media than work for this man. That's a, I mean, that's the kind of thing that in the movie makes sense, but when it's your real life and you really have your bills to pay and stuff, I mean, that yeah. must have been a really intense and bonding moment for all of you to say, we are willing to walk away from our profession right now to no longer work for this this company. It's funny because in retrospect, it feels very strange to think about the fact that we were all on the phone with our spouses being like, yeah, I'm actually, we're all going to quit. We're all quitting. <laughs> like, that's very scary. But at the time, it just felt like there was no other option. Well, and the so, other yes, option... we're trauma bonded together. Right? And now we have a company. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, the other option was that a number of you then came together to basically make this new thing, Defector, yeah. uh, which does a lot of what Deadspin did and, and a lot of other cool new stuff like Normal mm-hmm. Gossip Podcast. How is it going now that you have your own thing, like that you're the boss of you? Yeah. How do you complain about your management style of yourself? <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because people are always like, who's your boss? And I'm like, we're a cooperatively owned organization. I don't have a boss. And they're like, but who tells you what to do? And I'm like, no. And so I think, like, we don't complain about it because we have a lot of meetings where people talk about their feelings, and then we try to turn those into policies for the company, which is complicated in its own way. But there's a lot of freedom in working as a small business owner and being able to say, like, we are all in an equally powerful position and everyone's opinion matters, right? Which is not common. Well, I'm a subscriber, and I, I love what Thank you guys you. are doing over at Defector. Would recommend. Do you think there is some kind of evolutionary argument for gossip? So this is a question that's better for a evolutionary psychologist than me. We actually but have yes. one uh, backstage. Yeah. Uh, no. So, yes, there's a huge, huge argument for gossip as a part of evolutionary psychology in that, like, our groups that we interacted with used to be smaller and part of the way that you communicate to each other that like someone is unsafe or something as simple as like someone has food is a form of gossip right because like when we use the word gossip we are slotting in a lot of other words underneath it Mm -hmm. so gossip in its definition is just two people talking about someone else who isn't there So, like, if you and I talk about Joe Biden right now, technically, underneath the definition of of gossip, that's gossip. So many of the things that Did you hear he and his wife order the same thing when they go out for dinner? (laughs) That was in the Washington Post last week, and I find it... Pasta. Upsetting. Yeah, and that's gossip. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Because then you only know about one of the entrees in total between the two people. But what if they've been there before? It wasn't Arby's. <laughs> but Arby's only has one thing. They have the meats. <laughs> Sorry, Kelsey, we're digressing. No, I love it. Yeah. What else do you so know So that about was us Joe gossiping Biden? about Joe and yeah, Jill Biden, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess okay. so. <laughs> but, but there is, there is, you don't even have to be a scientist to imagine that when we were living in a different sort of situation, knowing things about other members of the so-called tribe yeah, I mean, that's could still be really true. useful to staying alive. It's still true, right? Like you talk to an intern at any company, they can tell you who's bad. Right. They can. Right. And like that is useful information that keeps people safe to be able to say like this person, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be alone with them. 
-hmm. that's gossip, but it's also a form of like safety that you're Mm -hmm. creating for other people with less power. It's like a network of communication below the thing that everyone has agreed is like the establishment network of communication. Yeah, exactly. And something that I think about a lot is that like you've kind of leveled the platform with the existence of social media, right? Mm -hmm. So like as people can speak to a giant platform without having any authority or power technically, quote unquote, uh, you've created a situation in which people can quote unquote cancel you. But it's like, it's actually just that they have the ability to speak now, right? Mm -hmm. You have created a gossip mill that now exists for everyone. Whereas Mm -hmm. before that gossip mill was a hundred people, the people that you knew. Now that you're getting so many submissions, do you have to turn things down sometimes because they're like too mean? Yes. (laughs) Would you like to share some of those here on (laughs) Livewire? We'll take your, we'll Would take your like leftovers. To? Yes. Can I? No. <laughs> uh, but there are things that you're like, mm, that's pretty juicy, but it's actually just straight up too mean. It wouldn't be fun. Yeah. We were recording um, an episode for the new season this week and we were doing our like run through and I was joking. I was like, we want all this, all the stories to be toxic but toxic the way that, like, wine is toxic to humans, uh-huh. which is, like, just a very minimal amount, right? right? We, want it to, we want the people in it to behave poorly, but you can, like, house it and live. Right, 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 <laughs> right, 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 right. You know it's not great for you, but it's making the next two hours of your life amazing. Right, like, you would have to consume a lot of it to feel bad. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> that's a good, that's actually just a good life lesson right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Everybody check out the Normal Gossip podcast and check out Defector Media as well. Kelsey McKinney, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. That was Kelsey McKinney right here on Livewire. You can listen to Normal Gossip wherever you get your podcasts. And also Normal Gossip is going out on tour so you can catch Kelsey in a town near you. And if you'd like to hear even more of our chat with Kelsey, head over to our podcast feed to hear a special Livewire Extra where we had Kelsey offer us some gossip etiquette, and she really knows her stuff. So make sure you check that out. Hey, special thanks this episode to Marla and Peter Vick of Hillsboro, Oregon. Marla and Peter are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month which is not only amazing, but critical in keeping the show going. So a very big thanks to Marla and Peter for supporting Livewire. This is Livewire. Of course, each week on the show, we ask our listeners a question in honor of the Normal Gossip podcast. We asked our listeners, what is some gossip only you care about. Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Well, I actually very much care about this story from Tyler. Tyler says, my son and I saw his teacher shopping at the grocery store and it was like spotting a celebrity. We followed her all around the store to get a look in her cart. All she bought was toilet paper and wine, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. I love the idea, not just of the kid becoming fascinated and following the teacher around, but the dad being like, let's go. (laughs) I guess it doesn't wear off in adulthood because I remember being a kid. And if you see your teacher outside of the school context, it's like a unicorn. It's like you are observing a magical being somehow. But it sounds like Tyler still feels that way even in adulthood. 
I wonder if my students feel that way when they see me like buying like hard cider and cat litter in, <laughs> in my pajamas on a Saturday night at like 10 p.m. <laughs> Preserve the mystery, Elena. Preserve the mystique. I should. I should. Uh, what's some other gossip that our listeners think maybe only they care about? Here's something great from Raina. Raina's gossip that Raina cares about is anything that happens to my hairdresser's kids. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. I know you're a big fan of the quick supercuts cut, right? Like that's kind of your I go to a place called Rudy's here in Portland, but it's uh it's definitely pretty 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 quick and, and efficient. When you're a lady, especially if you're a lady who's doing like color things, you are stuck in that chair for a long time. I hear. So in some ways, a great hairdresser has to keep you entertained. And I also get a lot of gossip from the person who cuts my hair, Brittany. Not, she doesn't have kids, but it is great when they have like really juicy lives to talk about. It's like a soap opera and you get your hair done. What's more important, <laughs> that they're good at the, the cutting and the coloring of the hair or that they have good stories? Uh, I definitely the hair skills, although imagine being so good at the storytelling part that people didn't give a crap what their hair looked like afterward. That would be my only <laughs> chance because I know nothing about cutting hair, but I can spin an okay yarn. That would be my that would be my differentiator. I do remember you cutting your hair over Zoom during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that actually turned out better than I was expecting. It's fairly straightforward. You sort of pull it up in a kind of a mohawk and you just kind of clip the top. Also, no one was seeing me IRL for like years. So that's right. The stakes were low. Stakes were very low. (laughs) All right. One more piece of gossip that one of our listeners is particularly interested in. Um, Here's one from Paula. Paula says, I love hearing all the local beef on the neighborhood watch apps. Those are those are hit and miss. Those those neighborhood watch apps. I mean, they can be entertaining. They can also be a little a little toxic at times. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like they only exist for gossip pur- purposes, and I've never been mentioned on them. Although I follow mine religiously, except for <laughs> recently, someone was like, "This huge gray cat won't leave my lawn," and I was like, "That's my cat. <laughs> He's famous." <laughs> <laughs> it's like seeing your teacher outside of school. You were like, "I know a famous person." That's right. He was buying toilet paper and wine. I don't have neighborhood at my house, but I do have neighbors that text me constantly, but they don't talk to each other. So they'll text me. Like my one neighbor texted me the other day, your yard's on fire. And it was (laughs) that the other neighbor was just burning some, you know, like rubbish. But from my one neighbor's perspective, it looked like my yard was on fire. Do they not talk to each other because of beef or just because they don't know each other? I don't think so. I just I, They just haven't gotten around to it. But I am the, uh, the interlocutor between the two. So I had to text Bob to ask if he had a fire because Brian told me my yard was on fire. <laughs> That's the gossip only I care about. Is my yard on fire or not? All right. Thanks to everyone who responded to our listener question. We've got another one for next week's show coming up at the end of today's program. So stick around for that. In the meantime, our next guest is the author of seven poetry collections, including The Octopus Museum, which was a New York Times notable book. Her latest collection, Tanya, pays tribute to her literary heritage of women writers and mentors while grappling with the ongoing mysteries of love, art, and loss. Take a listen to Brenda Shaughnessy, recorded at Town Hall in Seattle, right here on Live Live. Hi there, welcome to LiveWire. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you were born in Okinawa and then you grew up in Southern California, if I yes. have that right? Yes, yes. What was the role, if any, that poetry had in your life when you were growing up? Was it around? Did you think about poetry? No. 
<laughs> I think maybe it's the absence, the total absence of poetry that made me, once I saw it, I had to go toward it. The poetry like germ started because I was born far away in a different place with a different language to a mother who spoke a different language. And I think it's some of that tension with language huh. and um, immigration and spaces at home mm-hmm. that... I think when I first saw poetry in, say, 7th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade school curriculum, yeah, I think something in me thought, like, this is sort of not normal conversation, not normal talk. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Tanya, who this uh, book is named for? Was a college roommate? Okay, yeah. So Tanya is the name of the book. There's a person in my, in my history who was my University of California Santa Cruz roommate mm-hmm. my first year. I mean, we just sort of met each other. We were 18 years old. I was desperate to become a poet, and she was desperate to become a sculptor. So the whole book is really not about Tanya. It's about sometimes the person who mentors you or the person that shows you um, what the possibilities are is like a kid like you just appear, a person who also wants to be an artist. And it blew me away. And we haven't spoken in over 30 years. I've completely lost her. Um... So this is kind of my way of maybe trying to find her. It's um, a pretty good way. <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful book. It's right there on the cover. I mean, this is a real bat signal yeah. for Tanya. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Maybe she's still mad at me, and then she, I won't hear from her. But I kind of hope I hear from her. But the trick is that there's no, she's not really about her. She's right. hardly in the book. Right, because it goes on to talk about like all of these other ways that women influence other women, yes. mentors, many different kind of Tanyas yes. show up over the course of the book. Yeah, it's mostly about mentorship between women. Um, and so there's a sort of a long um, piece in here called Coursework, which is about the first literature teacher I had in college who kind of taught me how to read. And I don't know if many of you have had this moment where you're just a regular reader in your life and then suddenly you read something and someone shows it to you. Someone opens it up for you and says, look at that, look at that. This means that. This could be that. And you go, it's a universe. And all I wanted was to be in one and to continue to be in one and then make my own. I mean, it just, it was a teacher who did that. You know, it was, a, it was a literature teacher who taught me how to read deeper, you know, beyond comprehension and beyond just mere literacy, but to teach me how, what literature could do. I mean, it's art. Yep. So this is really a love letter to artists, to teachers. Did you take pieces of art and write your, your sort of response to those pieces? Like there's a, there's a poem in there, that, which is, I believe, referring to a painting or at least you know, the, the piece that you're citing as a painting. Yes. How did you kind of get this conversation going with these other, these other people and other things? Yes, so a lot of the poems in this book are also called ekphrastic poems, and those are poems that are written um, upon the encounter with a piece of visual art. It can be other, any kind of art, but um, it's, a, it's a cool, I think of ekphrastic poems as being a kind of translation of visual art. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a whole other sort of version of, of it, but mostly it's, it's describing an encounter. So there are several of these pieces. I think there are 10. Um, and some of them were commissions for museums or for pieces or for publications. Um, there's a piece about Merit Oppenheim's sure. for teacup, um, and that was a commission from MoMA. Mm. So in many ways, it's a response to mm-hmm. a... I mean, someone asked me to write on it. Mm-hmm. So I gave you a filthy poem because you asked me. Um, <laughs> and sort of make it my own. Cool. Can we hear uh, some poetry from the book? Yeah. This is in the long poem, the title poem called Tanya, and it's just a brief excerpt. 
because the poem is 54 pages long and I'm not going to read it. Oh. <laughs> or me, no. <laughs> Number seven, if you scratch the surface of writing, you chip the letters right off the page which erases them. You can't go deeper materially. To absorb words, you must lower a sensory organ into it and let it stew and steep until the meaning is leached from the page and dispersed through your eyes, pouring a meaning tea into your brain or some unknown part of your brain. Is language spoken only in one area? Why doesn't language know the ways other parts of the brain communicate? Why does language stop at itself, stubborn tourist? Poetry is allowed to follow the self in thoughts, on its way to the body it lives in, and the bodies and minds of those who might read it. This opening, this lit path, gives the impression poetry is trusted and will be given access, but each threshold and gate, each bower and gazebo, each bedside and website, has a new password poetry may not know. Poetry may have forgotten. The body is an anemone, Creature who knows when to hold them, knows when to fold them, and does not gamble like a gambler who learns, hit me literally, and is open to losing his home, his aim, last dime, last name. The body does not just let any poetry in, mostly just lets it play in the yard of the head like a squirrel. What if the wheel of fortune was a handless clock and there was no marking or measurement or tempo? No documentation on the face of it, just spinning freely downhill, arms pinwheeling, like the button wheel pinned to a teepee tube car made by a child, pipe cleaner axles. The thing everyone says about the wheel of fortune is that you must somehow climb to the center, sit right on the pin so you don't get crushed when the wheel edge is down, so you don't drink all the champagne when it's up. And yet, time's arms stretch out to the clock's edge, Minute hand reaching hard, the hour hand more tentative, thinking, do I really want to change? Brenda Shaughnessy here on Livewire, reading from her new book, Tanya. This just made me think of something that you said like five minutes ago about that first literature teacher mentor who showed you that, that works of literature can be universes. Yeah. And that was such a universe. And this is your seventh book. And so you've made seven universes with their own universes inside them. And I just wonder, after doing this seven times, how do you, how do you make space to make sure that universe is itself on its own terms? You know, like dealing with you as a poet at the place where you are now? I don't know. It's not really a seven times the charm thing. You know, it's <laughs> sort of like, I think it's just that every time I write a new poem, it just feels like another chance to do something I've never, to think about something I've never thought of before. Uh -huh. You know, that's the cool thing about poetry and writing poetry is that you don't have to know anything. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to, like, really know how to do it. You just have to, like, think your ideas and then kind of, like, zhuzh them a little bit, you know, like, kind of make them so that, so that they're interesting and they butt up against each other in interesting ways. Um, and so this piece, I don't know. I mean, the last book I wrote was called the Octopus Museum, and it was a sort of imaginary museum of the octopuses that took over the human race and now made a museum of us. It was all like fragments of the extinct humanity. Um, that was last universe. Mm -hmm. You know, this one is, I wanted to write, I guess, um, 
I guess I'd call this a nonography. I'm not sure if that really works as a thing that it is, but it's not a biography, it's not real. Tanya is a figment, um, she's an idea, she's a memory, and the whole point about poetry is we have this life that we live moment by moment, and then some of it stays in our memory, and then we sort of cherish those memories, but then they, those go too. Mm -hmm. The kids grow up, they go and the moment is gone, and suddenly you find yourself being like, was that 10 years ago? Elena, was it 10 years ago? I think it was, yeah. it was 12 years ago. <laughs> Something like that. And then suddenly you're like, I didn't write anything down. I don't have a record of anything. What happened? What did I think? So this is sort of like what happened over the past few years. Uh, we're talking to Brenda Shaughnessy about her latest book, Tanya, here on Livewire from PRX. We're at Town Hall this week in Seattle. I'm always curious about the the actual writing process for poets? Because I feel like if you're writing nonfiction, there's a fairly straightforward plan. You collect all the information and you start to sift through it and make some meaning out of it. And if you're writing fiction, it's like get this number of pages in a day or whatever. <laughs> How does it work for you when you're creating something like this book, Tanya? It's just desperation. <laughs> it's like, it's like grab whatever pen, like is it, you know, what time is it? Who knows? Like it's just, if... <laughs> It just feels like a very desperate thing because life is so much, um, you know, the the um, the routine. We have to get done the thing you have to do over and over and over again. It's repetition, um, a kind of a slog, and so the desperate reach for like a moment of clarity or a moment of spark. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I have like a bunch of different notebooks. None of them know about each other. They're all just like, you know, I write in one and I, they're not connected. I don't know what the ideas are. And then eventually yeah. I'll like pull them all together and like put them all in one big notebook and then I lose that. Um, you know, it's just, my, my process is a disaster. Seven times hasn't really helped. Maybe eight times the next book. I don't know. That's strangely comforting to me. Like, yeah. like maybe. I mean, it's just a disorganized mind, but that's why I write it down to try mm -hmm. to figure out how to make some semblance of order. Now, you've mentioned that this book is named Tanya. It's not necessarily about Tanya, but also, who knows, maybe Tanya will see it. Are you hoping, actually, to hear back from her? Totally. I'm totally hoping to hear back from my old friend. Of course. But um, I respect it if she's still mad at me. <laughs> you know? I mean, I sort, of, I sort of hint at why we sort of mm -hmm. had our breakup. And it's really just like, you know, it was hard to change and you kind of fuse a little bit when you're that young and you're close as, as you know, as roommates and buddies. And um, it was a little bit sexual and it was a little bit, you know, uh, judgmental, a little messy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that time. That was that time of being sort of 18 years old, 19 years old. It's that, that, that defined it. But this is also a book about um, coming into your own sense of what you, who you're hanging out with, who your friends are, who, who does that make you? Um, and, and what are you opening up into? Um, I feel like Tani was the first artist friend I had. Mm. And this book is a, about so many different kinds of artists that I, it kind of feels like it roots back to her. Well, I hope you, uh, you do hear back from her. <laughs> and I hope she gives you the response you're hoping for, whatever that might be. Yeah, that's a lot of, like, sort of hopes within hopes that, yeah. you know, could fall yeah. apart at any moment. That's going to be the name of my poetry book, <laughs> Hopes Within Hopes, <laughs> the Luke Burbank story. <laughs> Currently seeking a publisher. <laughs> Brenda Shaughnessy, the book is Tanya. Thank you so much for coming Thank on Livewire. Thanks for having me. That was Brenda Shaughnessy. Her latest collection of poetry is titled Tanya, and it's available now. 
I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. You are listening to Livewire Radio. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to hear some music from Grammy winner Madison Cunningham. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Before we get to our music, a little preview of next week's program, we are going to be talking about the 90s. Remember them, Elena? CDs. Oh, yeah. Dial-up internet. Polly Shore was everywhere. <laughs> it was everywhere. <laughs> it was the decade of Polly Shore. Wee's in the juice. That's right. Wee's in the juice. <laughs> it's also the subject of Chuck Klosterman's latest book, which is aptly titled The 90s. It was an instant New York Times bestseller. And in it, Chuck takes a deep dive into why the culture and pop culture of the 1990s actually really mattered. And also how his kind of 90s slacker ethos made him embarrassed to succeed as a writer. He was unsuccessful in not succeeding as a writer, though, because he's, <laughs> he's a very popular writer. We've also got a very special musical appearance from the international rock band Making Movies. They blew away the crowd at Revolution Hall in Portland when they played our show. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the LiveWire listeners for next week's show? We want to keep it 90s and ask, what thing from the 90s are you the most nostalgic for? My hairline? Like... Yeah, right. I'm 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 nostalgic for the way that I looked in the '90s clothes that are back in style again. Now that I'm 45, <laughs> I can still buy chokers and straight leg jeans, but the effect is a little different. My daughter was wearing Jenko jeans to a recent Livewire recording. Oh, oh no, that's Y2K coming to rear its ugly head. It's coming back, oh, my no. friend. If you have an answer to our listener question, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We are at Livewire Radio. Our musical guest this week is an American singer-songwriter, guitarist, and Grammy winner. Rolling Stone described her music as a new spin on West Coast folk rock. Her latest album is Revealer. This is Madison Cunningham, recorded at Town Hall in Seattle, here on LiveWire. What song are we going to hear? Uh, this one is called Broken Harvest. All right, this is Madison Cunningham here on Livewire. Round and round this broken rat race, I'm moving and stopping. I'm window shopping for love, for fame, for anything that would take me. Taking up space while well, I'm coming home late to a dirty place, half awake. The broom, the rake, take the kid out of me. Just say the word, just say the word, and I'll 
give it up The word and I'll hang it up What do I know What do I own That will not fade away All things fade away Where will I be The crop and the wheat feast Fade away, all things fade away. Put in order, business code for the tear in the jeans, the hole in the board to make the burden float, to pay and fold this time when you're living on. Dreamer's salary, a broken harvest Feels like robbery, what do I do this for? If it's just gonna pour out easily You've seen me there, climbing the stairs Begging for air and not coming up I'm not coming up What do I know? What do I was Madison Cunningham right here on Livewire. Her album, Revealer, is out now. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Kelsey McKinney, Brenda Shaughnessy, and Madison Cunningham. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. 
Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing and production manager is Paige Thomas. Our production fellow is Tundi Kumar. And Yasmin Median is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, Al Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff this week. We'd like to thank members Marla and Peter Vick of Hillsboro, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.